Welcome to H2O in the Know. In this episode, we'll discuss littering, recycling, and beautification with Helen Lohman, president of the nonprofit Keep America Beautiful. The International Bottled Water Association is a proud partner of Keep America Beautiful. We're currently working together on IBWA's Put It in the Bin campaign and other projects to help consumers learn more about the value of recycling and how to keep their communities beautiful. I'm your host, Chris Torres, and Helen, it's great to have you on. Thanks, Chris. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. We're very excited to um, be talking to you today. All right. That's great to hear. So let's begin with littering. So why do people litter? Why would they willfully toss garbage and recyclables into the streets or parks? Well, you know, we have done a lot of research on this at Keep America Beautiful, and we've really found there are three reasons uh, from our research that people litter. Um, One is that they don't feel a sense of ownership of their public spaces or their um, beaches or their parks. They also, in their mind, they think to themselves, oh, somebody else is going to pick that up. There's a government employee that's going to pick that up or a, you know, a highway worker that will pick that up. And so they don't think that that it's a big deal uh, because somebody else is going to take care of it. Or, and this is a really interesting point, is that if there is a, a place that where litter already has occurred and has already accumulated, that they feel like it's, you know, it's not a big deal if they just add to the litter. In other words, they didn't start it, but they're gonna, they're gonna add to it. So they feel a bit less responsible. It, it in some way, you know, makes them feel better if there's already litter there. So yeah, I mean, basically our research shows that nearly one in five disposals, 17% end up as litter, which is really huge. And most of it was actually done intentionally, um, which I find unbelievable. (laughs) So, you know, I mean, there's also unintentional litter. We understand that too, but most of it is done intentionally. And, um, you know, the unintentional litter is things like insecure loads um, in trucks and, and, and stuff like that. So in combating littering behavior through public education, Are different products that are being littered treated differently? If so, can you explain how? Yeah, absolutely. So that's a really good question. The model is the same, but we probably vary some of our tactics just slightly. We have um, what's called the Keep America Beautiful Behavior Change System. And this is an integrated approach that's, it's a tool that we use uh, for the development and implementation of behavior change programs that our 630 affiliates across the United States use. And it includes, you know, five steps and four behavior change strategies. And we, you know, we know that it works at the grassroots level. We know that it works in, um, in creating behavior change. We've had, we had a, a, you know, a group of academics develop it for us. But in fact, the way we know it works is that our affiliates use it and they track it and they see behavior change and they see reductions in litter and improvements in recycling. How much does pre-existing litter influence future littering? Well, a lot. I mean, I, you know, I, like I said, it's one of the things we found in our research. And, you know, individuals are much more likely to litter in a place where litter already exists. There's strong contextual predictors of littering rates. And that includes um, the availability of trash receptacles, 
the distance people actually have to walk or travel to use a receptacle, um, and then, you know, the amount of litter that's, that's already there. And, you know, our findings really show the strong support around the need for ongoing cleanups and beautification efforts because these things will actually prevent people or mitigate you know, people from littering more. Another interesting point I want to make is that actually uh, one thing that we find really works is peer pressure. If people believe littering is wrong and they share that with their neighbors and their friends and their family, that it actually makes individuals, other individuals, less likely to litter. Does littering tend to vary by age group at all? Which groups litter more or less than others? Great question and a really interesting research point. And the answer is yes, age is in fact a significant predictor of littering behavior. And our research shows that um, individuals who are under 30 years old are more likely to litter than those who are older. How do we get people to change littering behaviors or habits? We've, you know, like I, I just mentioned, we've recently updated our behavior change model and we're working with a steering committee of academics who are very well known in the social science field. And um, we're really looking to become more outcome focused here at Keep America Beautiful, rather than focused on outputs in our work in the field. So if I can give you an example, you know, we're looking to be less interested in, in kind of counting or, you know, in counting how many of this or that's picked up. So, you know, we've been sort of known as the, the litter cleanup organization, and we're really more interested in a future where we're achieving very definable and measurable outcomes that improve communities. So, you know, that's really on us. We have to do that here at Keep America Beautiful. So we want to improve how we do our work in, in defining the nature of our work so that we can pursue the proper people in the proper places at the proper times to make that behavior shift. Litter is both the smallest and the largest problem kind of at the same time in the United States. We can look at research that shows there are clear links to litter in the community um, and mental health, physical health, crime, safety, economic prosperity. I mean, I, I could go on uh, to talk about how our work is tied to the well-being of a community. And there's really truth to the idea of a good neighborhood. Like, what does that look like? Good neighborhoods are clean, they're green, they're beautiful. And that's what we want to work towards. We want to work towards sustainable communities and healthy neighborhoods. Why aren't there more trash and recycling receptacles available in public spaces such as concert venues, parks, or metro stations? What might cause them to be in short supply? Trash receptacles are pretty widespread. What we're concerned about is the lack of ash receptacles, so for cigarette butts. Cigarette litter is in fact the number one littered item in the United States and actually worldwide. So. You know, in general, smokers don't understand that a cigarette butt is is really litter. 
and they they you know they might think to themselves oh well if I put the cigarette butt in the bin it might start a fire or they may think that the cigarette butt is actually will degrade so in our research of the sites we observed during uh, our 2009 study 91% of those sites actually had trash receptacles and that includes dumpsters but only 47% had ash receptacles um, and even fewer had recycling containers. So that was only 12% of the total. And we know that most littering occurs at, at really a considerable distance from a receptacle. So at the time of improper disposal, the average estimated distance to the nearest receptacle was 29 feet. And the observed littering rate uh, when a receptacle was 10 feet or closer was 12%. And the likelihood of littering increased more and more and more for receptacles at a greater distance. So all that being said, in areas where we implement our cigarette litter prevention program at here at Keep America Beautiful, the litter of cigarette butts we know drops 50%. And so I'm sure the audience is probably going, okay, why, why is this even relevant to IBWA? But as I mentioned earlier, you know, if there already exists litter in a location, it actually dramatically increases the likelihood of additional litter. And so what starts as a cigarette butt, you know, can become a discarded cup, can become a can or a bottle or, or you know, a newspaper or, or even more. What should people do when a trash or recycling bin isn't available and why? Well, I am going to steal your line, okay? <laughs> I mean, IBWA <laughs> says um, pack it out, and I love that. And I agree, you know, that's, that's what you do. You should pack it out. And why does litter tend to collect in certain areas, and how can it be curbed? Well, most off-roadway litter is improperly discarded at, at what are called transition points. So it's when a person has to make a decision. Transition points have more than twice as much visible litter as other off-roadway locations. So this is where, you know, a person may be consuming a food product and they need to um, get rid of it before proceeding. So like a bus stop is a great example. So a person might be um, drinking a cup of coffee, eating their breakfast, and the bus comes to pick them up, and the bus doesn't allow food or drink to be on the bus. So they have to dispose of it. There's some other areas like retail stores or restaurants or office buildings, you know, just a point at which a person has to make a decision about proper disposal. And pedestrians, we, we find that pedestrians are the source of almost 96% of litter at these specific transition points. And virtually all litter at transition areas, 97%, consists of items that are less than four inches in size. So cigarette butts and confection litter, which you know is things like candy, chocolate, gum, 54% or almost 54% of litter at these transition points is confection litter. And the difference is litter that's in recreational areas is evenly split between items that are over four inches and those that are less than four inches. 
So most litter over four inches is food related, including packaging and organic um, items. And the majority, the majority of litter, again, as I, I said before, is in recreational areas. So 90, almost 99% is attributable to pedestrians. And this is largely, uh, as you can imagine, because many parks, playgrounds, community outdoor areas are not, they're just not accessible to vehicles. So of course it's, it's pedestrians going in there. And just one more point before we go on, I want to say that it's, you know, what's really interesting to note is that recreational sites that are well landscaped and that are near residential areas, near neighborhoods where people are living, tend to have much less litter, which I think is a really good point for all of us to be aware of. What are some creative ideas or projects that have been done by Keep America Beautiful to decrease littering in particular places? Well, there's tons, actually. <laughs> you know, I mean, we've been doing this since 1953 at Keep America Beautiful. And we, you know, our organization was started to conduct national um, public service ads or campaigns. And then we evolved into um, our affiliate network of, of 600 plus communities that work with millions of volunteers every year. And so national awareness really combined with local activation is how we address these issues. But some of the programs that have created greater awareness to public space recycling are Ben Grant programs. We have, uh, we've worked very closely with a number of our corporate partners to place and distribute um, recycling bins in public spaces across the United States. We're actually doing this really fun program in some pilot locations where you have a, kind of a ballot bin where there's a visible piece of glass and people can put their cigarette butt into one or the other of the bins to vote on something that's of local interest or something that's, you know, that's kind of funny. So, so that's just some of the, one of the kind of fun, creative things we've been doing. So now let's talk a little about recycling. Bottled water is currently the most common drink container in curbside recycling programs, recycled at a 53.9% rate. But do we know how many people overall participate in recycling at home and on the go? Yeah, we do know um, the statistics on that, thanks to um, the EPA. You know, they measure these things across the country for us. And in the U.S., last year, approximately 262 million tons of municipal solid waste were generated. And of that number, of the municipal solid waste that's generated, approximately 68 million tons were recycled and 23 million tons were composted. So together, more than 91 million tons of municipal solid waste were recycled and composted. And that's basically equivalent to a 34.7% recycling and composting uh, rate. And then, you know, to go farther on that, in addition, more than 33 million tons of municipal solid waste, or almost 13%, were combusted with energy recovery. And then lastly, um, more than 137 million tons of municipal solid waste or 52.5% were landfilled. So, you know, we've 
as a country, we've been in that 35% range for quite a while. And I think, you know, one of our biggest opportunities to move that needle in the right direction is to re improve recycling on the go, improve it in public spaces, and then also in the workplace. And then, you know, I'm sure your audience has been hearing about the concern around contamination and curbside programs, and we also, you know, need to do more to address that. Um, I think that, you know, that will most likely reap the greatest reward in terms of increasing the rate of, of what actually gets recycled. When people were in places such as a park, a beach, or a concert, and they have trash and maybe an empty beverage container or two in their hand, and they want to recycle the empty containers but don't see a recycling bin when they reach the trash can, how realistic is it to expect them to hang on to their recyclables until they find a bin? You know, I can just give you my opinion. I think it's very realistic. You know, if they carried that bottle in and it was full of water, I think they can carry it out and they can, you know, if it's empty. And are there ways to improve recycling rates in public places? Yeah, absolutely there's ways. More access to recycling bins at transition points, increased consumer awareness and behavior change. Again, I'm really a fan of your pack it out message. I mean, it's just very, very spot on. And are there certain items that get recycled more or less often? And why do you think this is? Yeah, there are definitely more more thing, things that get recycled more often. I mean, you know, plastic water bottles are huge. They they're getting recycled more often than than most things and and that's really thanks to IBWA I mean you guys are doing a great job um, other things are aluminum beverage cans steel soup cans newspapers magazines paper products you know there these things are we're seeing they are getting recycled and um, but you know I just want to point out there's so much more that can be recycled I mean take a look in your bathroom like the shampoo bottles the toilet paper rolls these things can be recycled and we have a website called berecycled.org and these things you know you can take a look there at what happens to these things when they get recycled what are what are they becoming and should recycling bins and trash bins be near each other yes 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 great question so bins located by themselves attract both trash and recycling regardless of the label so if you just have one bin People are gonna put everything in it. And so you need to have a trash can and a recycling bin next to each other in order for people to separate. What about restrictive lids such as flaps or a push lid? Great question. So anything that can reduce contamination is a good idea. And restrictive lids, they really force people to kind of slow down and read what the label says and kind of figure out what goes where. So for example, if you have kind of a round slot for cans and bottles and then or a narrow, kind of a long narrow slot for paper, this is a way to get folks to take the time to figure out what goes where. And, you know, again, having a separate bin for recycling and trash is absolutely key. Um, colors is another thing that can be looked at. Um, blue is the most common color that's used for recycling. I've heard that something called wish cycling is becoming a huge problem. 
Can you explain what this is and why it's a problem? Absolutely. So wish cycling is when you um, you want something to be recycled, recyclable, and you want to put it in your recycling bin, but you're not actually sure if it is supposed to go in the recycling bin. So a great example might be a, a dirty diaper, let's say, you know, oh, well, I want to do the right thing. You know, a person may be saying to them, themselves, I want to do the right thing. I want, I want to recycle as much as I possibly can. And they put that into the recycling bin. And I think people are trying to do the right thing. I think they're trying to be good recyclers. And so they're putting more into the recycling bin than is supposed to go there. And, you know, I think in their mind, they're saying, well, even if, even if I'm wrong, somebody at the recycling center will catch it and pull it out. And that's, you know, that's just wrong. It's the fact is recycling costs are increasing and these, these wishful recycling acts contaminate the recycling stream. And so, you know, recycling in the United States is local and we need folks to contact their, you know, their local municipality and know exactly what can and can't go into the recycling bin in their community and how their community needs things to be recycled in order to reduce the contamination in our recycling stream. Before we wrap up, let's talk about a big Keep America Beautiful event that's on the calendar every year. IBWA is a proud sponsor of America Recycles Day. Can you tell us about this event and how IBWA helps? Yeah, absolutely. We love partnering with you on this. Um, Amer so America Recycles Day is, it's the only nationally recognized day that's dedicated to promoting and celebrating recycling. And it takes place on uh, November 15th, as well as, you know, the weeks surrounding November 15th. And it's really the, the whole purpose of the program is to educate people about the importance of recycling and how to recycle right, how recycling is important to our economy and how it's important to our environment. And to get people to, you know, if you increase the awareness, you increase the knowledge and then hopefully you change behavior so that people then begin to recycle right or they begin to recycle more. So that's really the goal. IBWA has been an amazing sponsor of this program and you know you guys are are really doing a lot to help uh, to promote the day to your member companies and to the people who consume you know your members products so yeah this you know this partnership and education about recycling is really good and chris as you know the event registration is still open for businesses and community organizations and government entities, anybody who wants to host an America Recycles Day themed event can log on to americarecyclesday.org to register and, and host an event and take, you know, we have a pledge there that uh, we ask people to take a pledge um, to, to recycle. And, and then also you can go there to look and see what kind of events are, are already happening in your area. Okay, it's good to know. My last question for you today, Helen, is where can people learn more about Keep America Beautiful? Great question, Chris. Um, there's our website 
and that is kab.org. So they can go there to find all of our programs and um, you know our services. And then, of course, we're on Twitter, Facebook, and on Instagram. So any of our social channels have a lot of information about what we do and what's going on as well. All right, and that's all for today's episode. Helen, thank you again for coming on and joining us. It was great having you on, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I loved it. Thank you, Chris. For more information about the International Bottled Water Association, visit www.bottledwater.org. You can also follow IBWA on Facebook, Twitter at Bottled Water Org, and Instagram at Bottled Water Matters. Remember to follow and subscribe to the H2O in the Know podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes. This is Chris Torres signing off. We'll see you next time. Music by royaltyfreemusiclibrary.com.